I was a bouncing and a laughing as we rolled down an old dirt road. Daddy looking in his rear view, hoping that we just hang on. Hi there, I'm Glenn Savile. You're listening to the Always Race Day podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode, I think, 128 of the Always Race Day podcast presented by the Carl Auto Group. I'm here with Caleb Sloha, Josh Olmstead, uh, as well as Noah Nilsson. Uh, no Damon on the show tonight. Uh, basically, his reasoning is he hung out with me too much on Saturday. Uh, doesn't Didn't want to put up with me for more than he has to, so we gave him the night off. But uh, Plenty to talk about. Wild, uh, crazy, chaotic weekend um, with Knoxville and, and what happened there. We'll get into Carson Macedo uh, and his accident there, uh, as well as uh, Jonathan Davenport winning the dream uh, in that racetrack, rubbering up halfway through. Um, and we got a good old-fashioned ass kicking from Martin Trex Jr. I feel like I can say that. We'll debate it in the back end of the show. Dirt first, NASCAR after that. We'll get to all of it. Uh, but first, we got to thank our partners uh, at the Carlotto Group uh, for sponsoring us. Um, they are our uh, full year, uh, full-time all-around partner for alwaysrace.com. Uh, all the coverage you see, um, they are a major, major piece to uh, why you're seeing it and how you're seeing it. So uh, give them a shout out on social media if you can. And I promise I'll have a fun, different type of ad read on Wednesday. So uh, we'll get we'll get to that when the uh, bridges uh, cross there. So you guys ready to uh, get this thing started up? Y'all. No, we got to wait like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to put on some hold music and everybody can just wait for a moment. Let's put on some country, put on some, uh, all the bands you'll see at, uh, I was speaking for the IndyCar race there, something like that. No, but, uh, yeah, yeah I was with, uh, Damon and, uh, Josh Gerlich, uh, our guy, um, over the weekend, we covered the, uh, world of outlaws, uh, weekend at Knoxville. Uh, Damon just came on Saturday. Uh, but kind of a team effort deal. Um, we were getting to as many drivers as we could Saturday night. I think, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed how many people we were able to, uh, get around to, but, um, above all else, uh, we, we got to talk about the race and, and, uh, the big incident of what happened. Um, really quick, David gravel, uh, takes the win. He closes in on Brad sweets points lead, uh, just 14, uh, points back now in the standings. So, uh, good night for him. He ran 10th on Friday and, uh, he kind of, he said in victory lane, he's like, we run 10th at Knoxville one time and everyone thinks we suck. Uh, but turns around, gets the win. Um, and in that, uh, 12 lap stint at the end, he, he was not pressured at all. He was insanely fast. Uh, Brian Brown, much like Brian Brown on uh, Friday, was extremely fast. No one was catching him on Friday night. So just goes to show you every night at Knoxville is different. Um, every time those guys hit the track, you know who's good, but sometimes guys uh, rise to the occasion uh, more than others or at different times than others. So um, aside from that, and also uh, – before I forget and make sure we mention it, uh, Garrett Williamson, career night, first World Valas podium, wins the 360 race. That's his first career 360 win at Knoxville. He won at Houston's a couple weeks ago. Uh, so that kid's been fast as hell lately. I'm very impressed with uh, with him. And memorable name, because he's only got one R and one T 
in Garrett. So every time I type out his name, I got to like go back and fix it. Cause I'll just, I don't know, won't go through my head, but so I mean, cards- yeah, I know, how, I know how that goes. So we've got at Hawkeye downs, we've got a guy I work with that's Corey, just regular spell of Corey. And then we also have Corey. That's just C O R Y. Yeah. And- yeah. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Which one's the regular? Like the regular is C O R E Y. No, it's not. Okay. That's how I'm going to have Corey in the house. Okay. Well, I guess he, that, how did he smell it? I, I've seen more Corys with the EY than anything else. So, but then the problem is autocorrect always, when I'm trying to, you know, talk to the other Corey, it always spells out C O R E Y. So, I, that might be a, a red hot debate. Oh, Damon's joining. Hold on. <clears throat> we, can, we can say pretty comfortably, though, at least there's no eyes in it. Right. Corey ending in an I. Yeah, exactly. Damon, we are uh we're recording already. I couldn't tell. Oh, okay. Well good. <laughs> Jeez. Um I've I've gotten up to I haven't talked about Mosquito's crash yet. That's what we're we're about to talk about. So glad you you're joining us for it. Um Real, hey, real quick, how would you spell, this is not about your the tweet you sent or anything like that. How would you say you would regularly spell the name Corey? Depends on if it's a guy or a girl. Guy. Uh, then it would be, it would be C-O-R-E-Y. I don't, yeah, uh, just one of those things you thought like. Uh, yeah, I, I, my whole life, I thought the regular version of Corey was C-O-R-Y, Corey in the house from Disney Channel. Yeah, I don't know. Every every Corey I've ever known, though, has had an E in it. So that's, See, that's what I'm saying. Not for Corey Eliason. That was like. That was the only one. one of, that's not how this came up, by the way. Caleb just said the regular, sp- and I'm, I'm just he's one of over heels. Corey's. He's one of two Corys that I know that has that has no E in it. Was Corey Hedgecock involved in that one? No. Okay, it's three then. Oh my god. All right. Anywho, the Mosquito accident. So I I wanna know, like, is it very often, you know, especially on those cars, do we see cars just shoot to the right like that? I mean, that's crazy. Um, I wouldn't say it is in terms of if you put like the 10 worst looking wrecks of the year and like a montage or something i wouldn't say it's that uncommon uh when it shoots to the right like that so if you if you weren't in Knoxville, haven't seen a replay of the wreck uh carson Macedo was really uh making a lot of ground on david gravel in the lead and from second place he uh i don't i don't think he hit a rut or anything i think it's it was mainly the car broke uh but shot up to the right hits the wall uh goes for a couple of flips um at some point the fire suppression bottle or fire suppression system uh that the system itself um or the bottle um i don't know if it's that basic so if i say something wrong let me know and i'll I'll talk about it on wednesday too if we need to correct something but from what i know apparently that bottle fell off the race car that bottle was mandatory uh where you mount it is not so wherever they mounted it it fell off uh and so that kind of hurts you when trying to put out that fire uh the tail tank hit near the end of the flipping uh so there's a bunch of fuel coming out 
big ball of fire uh, and Carson Macedo was knocked out uh, when it came, when his car came to arrest. So, you know, on top of the car being on fire um, and everything inside and around it, uh, we had three other drivers, Gio Selzy, Spencer Baston, and Brad Sweet, uh, all kind of uh, put their lives on the line and tried to help uh, Carson get out of the car, as well as the Knoxville safety crew. I, I sent a couple of tweets at the end of the night, and someone was ticked off for whatever reason that I didn't mention the safety crew. I kind of thought it was, you know, kind of figured you would you would say, yeah, yeah, I'm thankful for them as well, but just in case anybody. Uh, so they, they get in, um, they managed to finally get the fire out. It just kept burning. Um, every time it was close to being put out completely, it would kind of reignite a little bit again because of how much fuel is there. Uh, and eventually they got Carson out of the car. They had to cut his uh, safety belts off and he walked with assistance to the ambulance and he walked out of the hospital without assistance uh, today on Sunday morning, very early on Sunday morning. So very thankful he's okay uh but lots to dissect in that rack around um what we're doing i know uh from talking to some drivers i won't name anybody but uh a lot of people asking for some extra practice um with situations like that and stuff so i think i've got every angle there on just if you didn't hear it or if you didn't see it and want to know what's going on i think i recapped it for you all right do you guys fill in the gaps anywhere or we can start talking about it either way i'm curious if you know i mean is it an actual suppression system that they have in those cars or is it like because i know like at our track we're technically required to have an extinguisher in our cars so like i would have an extinguisher in my car but i can tell you if my car's on fire, I'm I'm not grabbing the fire extinguisher. Like I'm trying to get out of there. And especially if you get knocked unconscious or uh, I mean too, like, you know, there's not a whole lot of rules where like if that extinguisher gets misplaced while you're flipping or, you know, wrecking hard or whatever, like it. So, I mean, I guess I'd be curious. I, I can't imagine that those cars would have an actual suppression system. My guess is that they're, they're extinguisher bottles. I mean, it's like yeah. any, any other race car, it's an extinguisher bottle. More so, than a suppression system. you know, yeah, now, I will say, I will say mo a lot of the, uh, a lot of them, I know they do, they have this in, um, in, NHRA, like in the in the nitro cars, I can't say this for sure about sprint cars, but uh, if it gets to a certain point, the bottles will go off themselves. Gotcha. And that's more of like the suppression. Yeah. Cause that's essentially like what some of those other systems have in like the professional racing series is yeah. Once there gets to be enough smoke or a certain temperature, they just go off themselves. Uh, much like what you'll find in, in a business, um, and you know, stuff like that. So right. yeah, that's why I was just curious. Cause I, I couldn't imagine that they would have a full suppression that, and whether the bottle falls out onto the track or if you're unconscious, I mean, it just is unhelpful at that point. So, uh, yeah, that's definitely where like, um, I, it's, it's hard. I mean, with the, with the safety crew, every situation is so different and the, the way things happen is so different and all that, like you can always say that they could be better in every situation. Um, but 
I'm just I'm very glad he's okay. It was crazy to see that car just go straight right. And of course at Knoxville, like there's not a whole lot of room before you're hitting that wall. So uh, it's pretty, pretty quick coming up on him. Well, yeah. especially where he was, he was already riding the top anyway. I mean, the lap before that, he was probably within two car lengths of gravel up front uh, when they went by us in three and four. The the lap before that, gravel got a good runoff too. They were right in the middle of lap traffic, and uh, so that's what separated them a little bit going down the back stretch and into three. But I think to answer your first question about it going straight right i don't know if i'm i don't know for a fact but the way that that axle came back it looked like something had to have broken prior to the flip yeah oh yeah yeah i think it yeah it wasn't wasn't a drive it wasn't a driver error or just a bad ride i i don't think it was the car the car went by on the hook right beside where I was standing. And I mean, the, the tire was bent upon itself. Oh, I mean, it, yeah. when it, when he flipped the front end came down so hard that it screwed up anything you were going to look at in the axle that might tell you, but, but it definitely, the, I mean, the hard it, right hook was, it definitely, he, something broke on the car before. Yeah. Went right. that, I mean that it, it looked like it was like when you're on asphalt and it's a flat tire or something like the, I mean, that thing just went. So, yeah. uh, I will say, yeah, I will say, and thankfully he's okay. And I feel more comfortable <laughs> saying that. And also like a lot of people have given me compliments on our, on my coverage and as well as, uh, Damon and Josh and the help they gave and everyone as a whole. Uh, so I, I do truly appreciate, I think we can say it for all of us that we all truly appreciate that. Uh, and thank you. There was some negative comments. There's always going to be some negative comments. Obviously, we're just trying to do our best. So never want to overstep, do something that uh, people might not want to hear. Just trying to do our best to tell full, complete, uh, and honest stories. Um, basically, the only thing we can do, right? So uh, actually, I forgot what I was going after. Damon, what was I going to say? I don't know. Noah, did you have something? Um, I was just going to say, um, you know, just the fact that that's one of the worst case scenario kind of accidents and he's able to be okay. Yeah, that's that's good know, news. That's, that's excellent news. And that that's great. Uh, just that we can be that safe in an accident as scary as that. All yeah, and, I, and I think there's still safety concerns from it and we'll get to that in a second. Oh, absolutely. I do, think, I do think a lot of the drivers big thing, just talking to the different ones that we did afterwards, uh, a lot of it isn't like upset or, or angered at the procedures. It's more or less wanting to just re up. You can never have too many practices at doing something like that. And you can never have too many tools. I think that's the big thing too, is, is, you know, we're in Southern Iowa, somebody had to have a pocket knife. So you, you want to make sure you got some cutters and, and some different things like that. Um, but you know, it, it's always, it, it's always trying to find how to make everything better. And I think that's what the drivers were more entailing versus, versus being upset at the situation. They're just, how do we make this better? So the next time a situation like this happens, God help us when it doesn't anytime soon that we can be a little bit better equipped. Right. Uh, 
and that's why I was uh, gonna say it dawned on me again, but um, the hooking right like that, it almost looked more intense than Jake's Newman, Jake Newman's wreck at uh, that high limit race. Uh, it looked like a similar type of accident, but the car snapped right. And if there's a way to uh, not rectify, but improve how the car settles after that, kind of aspect or front end of the car breaks like that. I, I hope we could find it, but I just don't know if that's possible. So let, let me ask, um, cause I was trying to look a little bit and I couldn't really see much. What was, was the hospital trip just for further evaluation or did they announce well, the extent of what they were looking at? So guy, I mean, pretty, pretty much engulfed in flames, the, almost the entire cockpit. And that's why, and please go buy a Carson Macedo shirt or a Geo Selzy shirt or a Brad Sweet shirt or a Spencer Basin shirt. Cause I mean, the balls it takes and the mindset and wherewithal it takes to try and get your friend, uh, or competitor. Um, but I think for all of them, it goes both ways there, uh, out of that car in that situation is just insane, insanely brave. So big shout out to those guys. But, um, what was your question, Josh? I'm doing this again, where I'm trying not to say the wrong thing and I'm not thinking about Josh, I'll I'll tell it this way. A lot of it for the, the hospital thing was because of the, because of the fire initially he was on his way to iowa city for burn coverage and then um they called that off luckily and ended up just taking him to the the local hospital there in knoxville for him to stay throughout the evening and or throughout the night to, to evaluate do some tests things like that so originally it was for for the burns but then it was it was for evaluation is why they they okay to knoxville yeah so, i i just kind of wanted to know because obviously we were talking about the safety aspect so i wanted to know whether it was like something in the car that failed safety wise or it was due to the fire well so the the su suppression bottle is supposed to be it's supposed to heat up and once it catches heat then it will release the extinguishing stuff um i still think they would have needed more extinguishers to put out that fire the fact of the matter is it's really hard to make a uh, fuel tank, uh, tail tank, essentially, uh, that's more durable. Um, if that was like an option, I guarantee it would have been implemented already. Uh, so it's, it's just a case of, you know, you, you really, the car landed directly on it, it destroyed it, and then it landed right side up. And that was probably like, I don't know if that's the worst case scenario or, but it, it wasn't a good one. Right. So I will add to this too, you know, when he, he hit and was flipping, he was knocked out when he landed on all fours. I think the best case scenario in that whole deal was the fact that he did land on all fours. Cause if he's on his roof in, in fire, we're in trouble. I mean, yeah. I'm, I, I lost my breath. Watching it. I've watched top fuel dragsters split in half. Uh, I've seen a lot of bad stuff. I mean, I was at St. Louis where Noah Gregson basically mm -hmm. ran through the wall in turn one. And uh, that, that Saturday was probably the scariest incident I have ever been a part of in person. So I don't have, I've, 
got CPR, first aid training, stuff like that. So I don't have, you know, I'm no medical expert, but the things they would definitely be concerned about, of course, being knocked out in that heart of an impact, they're going to want to run tests. They're going to want to check them out. Um, You know, there's most likely a concussion with that, you know, so um, that on top of then to any burns that you would have and um, smoke inhalation is going to be a big thing too. Um, So especially as late of a night that that happens, I mean, a lot of times you're with, with the severity of, you know, what he had going on and how late of a night it was already and everything like that, they weren't going to just be like, ah, well, you look good. Have a great night. Like they were, you know, that, that's something that those three things are pretty concerning that, um, it would have just been best for them to just monitor him, test him, you know, get him checked out and everything like that. Yeah. And I don't think there was any, uh, you know, Knoxville's hospital has handled sprint car drivers, uh, after Rex before. So that's probably a good, place to go um and obviously uh getting a flight to iowa city is still a substantial process so it was good that that was canceled and uh that never had to be used so um overall like super lucky uh super gracious that carson's um all in all all right and uh yeah hopefully uh hopefully you guys got to enjoy the race still still it was a scary ass wreck so yeah like i said it it was probably i would say it's it is the scariest thing um when when you're sitting there in real time and i told connor and josh this last night after we found uh or was watching the the video that came out with it after we found out he was okay um was the fact that it, it felt a lot longer than the video actually portrayed. Like the the length of time that that car was on fire, it Brad, just felt a lot longer. When you see Brad Sweet dive head first into a engulfed cockpit, um, that was that that was something that I'll not ever forget. And then him coming out of there screaming uh, was the other thing. When he's he's screaming Carson's name, screaming for workers to get there. Like it, it was. It was just wild, man. Yeah, and so the reason that um, that I put out that tweet uh, after I talked to Casey Kane uh, at all uh, was because there's people that were trying to take a side between the Knoxville fire crew and Brad Sweet about why Brad was yelling as if he was yelling at him. I put out another tweet that said, he might have been yelling at him. I got there at the tail end of it. And I said, I don't want to speculate. So don't, don't take that. You know, don't say, I'm not saying that I'm saying that could have been what it was, but he, it was Brad yelling. So all these people are taking sides and I had ran into Casey and I just asked, and he said he was yelling Carson's name because he was knocked out. So I put that out to clarify that because Basically, I, the Knoxville fire crew does not need 70 people on Twitter to tweet them and tell them that they suck, did a bad job, weren't fast enough, or were stupid because none of them were carrying box cutters or a knife. The only thing you can do is get better for next time. They don't need 80,000 people tweeting at them native shit. So I'm, I'll follow on whatever bullet with that tweet if you don't like it. 
we're just trying to do our best job. Um, and at this point in the weekend, I, I really don't care. Quite like, to be honest. So I was driving home on Saturday night, like thinking like, okay, if Carson had come on the podcast and then six days later got in a wreck and God forbid was hurt for months on end or, you know, didn't make it through in any capacity, then I would not even like it's our fault or anything. It would just be really hard to do any other interviews with drivers. I don't know if I could do that. So I hope I never have to conquer that fear or anything like that, but it's fucked up shit. So bitch at me if you want, I'm just going to bitch you back quite frankly. Caleb, go ahead. What? I'm, I, no, Caleb, Caleb was just laughing. I'm just like done caring about, I think we did a fantastic job. I don't think. It's it, hard. I, people there's listen, there's, there's a specific way you have to go about it because like it's, it's our business to report and, and do that. But like, we're all still human and like, that's a very large part of it. And there's a lot of people out there on social media that like, don't care about the human aspect of it and like really have no sensitivity or soul. So it, it's like, we're going to just do it the way we're going to do it and the way that we see best to, to cover it. Um, you know, because there's still human lives that we're playing with and I just, some people just don't realize that. So. Yeah, I agree. And I'll, and I was telling Damon and Josh this, like, I will never judge somebody or blame, put blame on somebody for how they react in crisis. Um, that's something I'm not in the business of doing. And I, I hate the people that do, but I, I understand it because they're also in crisis and they're also in, uh, this chaotic moment. Um, and they're engulfed with that. So I, I don't want to cast blame on anybody there, but if you're tweeting me Sunday night about how dumb I am or something like that, I, at this point, I'm very far over it and my buddy Carson's okay. So I'm very happy about that. And I might just say something to you. That sounded way like more intimidating than I needed it to be. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm what I'm trying to say. I'm just over the negative shit. Like we're past it. Carson's right. okay. We can all rejoice. I hope he races this week in Wisconsin. I'm thinking about going up to that race. Uh, if you, if you guys want to see me at that race, tweet Chris. Chris M. Williams say we want Connor to go to Wisconsin. No, don't do that. Uh, we, what's that, Damon? That's a good idea. I'm, I'm thinking about it. It's five and a half hours. I'd have Twitter to find campaign. Oh, no, Twitter thing. Oh, <laughs> shit! If you go, I'm saying the Twitter. Thing. I give a shit if I go. It'll be, be a good uh, good story to chase right before Houston's too. So I'm thinking about it. We'll see. I'll probably make the decision on Monday. So if you want to tweet Chris, tweet Chris. I don't, you know. What, what are the few great ideas Connor's had? Hold on. Let me stop you there. Connor's got some bangers. Thank you, Noah. I appreciate you. I was, Suck up. Yeah, I was just telling Damon about the NHRA 1-8th Nationals that I want to put on at Eddyville as like the 17th big race I promote in my life. This will be Noah Nelson's last episode on the podcast. <laughs> Noah, go back to the mute button. <laughs> they just don't want to see me get ahead in the sport, guys. I'll tell you what. We don't want to see you get ahead. Yeah, even my own, even my own teams hold me back. Sentence. Step forward, <laughs> steps Dream back. Eldora. Yep. Uh, Dream weekend. Uh, Jonathan Davenport ends up in victory lane. Uh, 
so like last three years, last four years, um, guy has won almost everything at Eldora. He's got that car. It's a rocket there. I don't know how it's not a rocket. It's a Longhorn chassis. Um, it's a spaceship there. There we go. It's an Indy car at Eldora. How about that? Uh, I'm just saying it's fast, Damon. It's Antron Brown levels of fast at Eldora Speedway. Come with me. Yeah. <laughs> um, eight crown jewel wins for Jonathan Davenport in his career at Eldora. Uh, we should start. I, I want to start calling them majors. They're all the same track, though. I don't know. It's still majors. It's still a big yeah, race. Yeah. It's still it's, big money. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, very impressive out of him. I don't think anyone uh, doubted that he could do it. And uh, yeah, able to hold off Chris Madden, but big butt here. Uh, track tuck rubber before the halfway mark. And supposedly, I haven't watched the entire broadcast yet. I watched some of it. Um, to be quite honest, I was texting with Bobby Pierce and he got passed for uh, the lead by Davenport 30 laps in. And then my mind went somewhere else because I wasn't watching him rip it in the lead anymore. <laughs> uh, so I didn't see much after that. Uh, and everything with Carson happened like right as that race started. So I haven't gotten to see the full broadcast of it yet. Uh, but if they didn't work on the track before a crown jewel race, and it took rubber before the halfway mark of your 100 lap dirt race. I don't really see how, how in the hell this track has three crown jewels in dirt late model racing. Go ahead, Damon. You just said it though. You just said it. 100 lap dirt race. Yeah, that, exactly. It's going to take rubber hell or high water, whether they work it over or not. You can so only. What, what did Carson say on the, on the show last week? said the best the best races are when it takes rubber at the very end right but when you when you work it throughout the day if it is rubbering in as they run the heat races as they run the the b's and c's right you know if it's rubbering in then and then you go rework it you've just lost the progress that you made and it's easier to re-rubber after a work-in than it is at the beginning of the day and what's crazy is there's a very easy fix to this uh, when it comes to running a race at the end of a three-day format. Here we go. Very easy fix, in fact. What? What is that? You run for, you're qualifying for due days. I don't care what format you use, give them points. I, and I, I like the format this weekend, honestly, in terms of what product it got us by the end of the week. I like that aspect but we still ran six heat races on Saturday and we still ran TB mains after that. So run for your points on Thursday, run for the points on Friday, take points from every timing session besides hot laps. Right. I think we can all agree there. Um, if you want to use an invert, at least there you're using it in a spot where everyone's getting points for where they finish and stuff. I would approve of an invert there. You can use your dinky little wheel too. You can, do, 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 do. You can spin around like little Price is Right pigeons. Was I, uh, what? Can I say Sheeple. this? Sheeple was what I was going to say. Hold on. 
lock in 16 20 to the a whatever we're on four b mains top two from each one transfer i just gave you less laps on the track on saturday less races that you have to run on saturday and less chance that you're going to rubber up in the a main of one of your top three biggest races of the year i don't see how hard that is i don't see why we have to use this wheel i don't see how we have no idea where everyone is in sitting in a situational matter until the very end of Friday night, and then you still have to run six heat races. By the end of the 100 lap feature, you're there for six hours. And the only thing we care about pretty much is the A main, because that drums up all the storylines. The heat races were fine. They're, you know, heat races are heat races. You're setting a lineup for something else though. Like Brandon Overton not making the race. Yeah, that was a shocker. That was a big moment. I agree. But you run less races, you're going to have less of a chance at rubbering up, and then you don't even have to do 45 lap or 45 minutes of track work to get it ready for the feature. Go ahead, Damon. Damon looks over it. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he hears me complain about the Eldora thing a lot. We got some good ideas in the works Here's for this summer. Not every race is the Knoxville Nationals. I'm not saying it is. But you want every format for major event to be set up the exact same way. How, how in the hell is running four B mains like the Knoxville Nationals? You're, take the B mains out of it. You want everything to be set up for just the A main. No, like my objective, my objective, I can think of a completely different format on the spot right now that would do the same thing and get you to Saturday with less races on the track, less laps on the track, because you're running 24 cars for a hundred of them. So it's going to be really hard for it to not rubber up anyways, but they're hell bent on this wheel and having literal, literally six heat races the day of the big race. All right, I'll let you. No, I'm I'm saying I'm just saying like we can't, I can't, can't rationalize with you. That's all right, all right. Well, rationalize with me. I'm trying. All right. Well, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to build our relationship, and we're gonna try to build a Golden Gate Bridge to the top in the middle. Okay. So I I don't want the track to rubber before halfway. I I agree. Nobody okay. does. What no steps? What, give me the first step you would take. You can't control the weather. I didn't say I could. If it's hot out there, which it was, dirt dries up faster in the in the sun, right? Isn't Eldora known for like being one of the better prep tracks typically? Yes. Like kind of. I mean, well, look at last year. They do they put new they brought in new dirt on the racetrack and it, everyone hated it so much that two days before they were racing for a million dollars, they took it out and raced on oh. the old dirt. Right. They took it out because everybody hated it. So yeah. they did the right thing. Okay. That's for That's my fine. for my knowledge, Eldora is is typically pretty good at listen, you can't you can't hit on it every single time. So that, that's just. No, I get I, it. But if you're wanting it to not rubber up and you're wanting to hit on it every single time, the first step I would take is having less races on the day of the big race. You you just said but I get it, and then proceeded to say, "Well, if you want to do it, you have to do it." Like, okay, they missed. Now you're talking in entendres because I have no clue what you just said. 
No, you literally, he just said, you're not going to hit it every time. And then you said, I get that. But if you want to hit it every time, like you just said. You, well, you do want to hit it every time. Do you not? Well, yeah, I but think it's, just, it's insulting to drivers to have a massive race and have rubber before the halfway mark. No, you just said, I get it. And then you're like, then you followed up with a statement saying that you didn't get it. Right. I, but the whole point, though, is like it, it wasn't like they just all sat down and went, well, we'll just see what happens here. I mean, there was obviously like that they were trying and they've they've got a history of being able to succeed in that format. So I, I like I I think, yeah, it sucks that it happened like that, but like. I don't feel like we need to overhaul the entire weekend because this one time it wasn't great. No, and I'm, I'm not trying to say that. My, my beef is with a format that can drastically change where how you do on in a certain session uh, would be really good if you ran really fast in that session, unless the wheel actually spins to this other number instead of this number on Friday and then you might have screwed yourself there and ended up with a sixth place starting spot instead of a top three you know there, there's just different things I, I like consistency with knowing where you know running fast at this point is going to get you I don't like the in to their point they eliminated this with how many twists and turns their format had this weekend but I don't like the races where you can uh, sandbag in qualifying and to, that would benefit you. I don't like when that happens. So to their credit with what they did this weekend, that kind of rectified itself because there's too many points earning opportunities that you just had to get in the top 36 and that was where you needed to be or top. I, I don't even know. If, I don't think 36 was the right number, but you had to get in the top echelon uh, of the field to really be in a, a good spot going into the action on saturday so what yeah overall i think it was way 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 better than last year's format leaps and bounds better than last year's format because that was a every lap from wednesday does not matter format and this this year's was titled every lap matters so i i will give them props you also have to remember too okay fans are paying big money to go to this right yeah 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 you can't just run four races now on the other side of things and first that format was i had five races in there because there's four b mains and one a just so you know just i'm just I get it. go ahead keep going so chris williams big dirt late model fan some call him a casual not me right now i maybe you damon are you calling him a casual because he he took his family to the show me 100 last year they were in town this season they didn't go because of how long it takes I, I can't can't say yes or no to that. Everybody's got different preferences. Okay, all right. Damon, Damon kind of calling Chris a casual, just a little bit there. All right, I'm just going to live with this. You can't overhaul a format when it is, I, I think, created what is supposed to be a tough to win late model race. We yeah. it is something that has gone on for years. It's been around longer than any of us have been alive. They've had different formats. They've had different paydays longer than any of us have been alive. 
And in my opinion, if it, do you want a, a late model race, sometimes you're going to have a rubber down racetrack. That's just how these shows work with these heavy cars. That's how this goes. I agree Every with, race. I agree with everything. Sorry. Are you, sorry. I thought you were done. I thought you paused and you were done. You're fine. I just, the other, you know, the other thing on top of it is you, yes, you don't want to have uh, a rubber down track for your big show, but in the same token, you're still, it is still it's supposed to be a hard race to win. It's not supposed to be easy. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, except for uh, they've been doing it so long. So that's what's right to do, or that's what they should do, or so they know better than you. I don't, I don't agree with you've been doing it forever. So that, that makes you better. I just don't, but everything else. Yeah, completely. That is in that sense. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of speaking in general, general, generalities. Uh, but no, I, I'm saying like 95% of what you said. Yes. Are we good on the dream? Couple of quick hits uh, with USAC. Logan CV uh, ends up winning Indiana Midget Week. He becomes the third driver to win uh, Indiana Midget Week and the Chili Bowl in the same season joining kyle larson in 2020 and rico abreu uh or abreu sorry um in 2015 so uh big shout out to logan he's been on a tear in the midget this year i'm excited to see where he goes what he does um if he goes or does anything with it in other series in the future but uh you can't take it away from dude is a very talented race car driver so impressive stuff out of that um last show basically last segment of the episode for you guys but last show we talked uh about how we kind of haven't seen a good ass kicking in a while uh aside from larson's in the all-star race uh in nascar but i i believe that martin truex jr uh delivered that at sonoma today i was curious to what you guys had to say about that Yes, I would agree. Uh, Good talk. Noah no, yes. <laughs> just took yeah. a big mouthful of food and was like, I'm going to talk first here. He literally unmuted too. So like he, I, I was going to say yeah, I was looking at Caleb like, all right, guys, don't do the mute system until right. we have a guest. But I do like it for when we have guests. I was telling Damon that last night. I like but, it in general because that way you know that somebody has something to say and then we're not like cutting each other yeah. off as much. Because like in that right. situation, we were all kind of waiting and then Noah unmuted. So I was like, all right, he's going to talk. No, I, no, I had, Noah had, and, Noah had I, six noodles in his mouth. I had yeah. something stuck in my throat when I went <laughs> to go talk. Um, <laughs> hey, oh, <laughs> yeah, bunch of noodles. Um, for, bunch of noodles. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, no, I mean today was literally as old school as it gets. I mean, no, no cautions for the stage breaks, which I absolutely love and wish we would do everywhere, not just the road courses. And um, just, I mean, he led just about half the race. I mean, it was is as old school as it gets. No gimmicks. No, no, nothing crazy happening. It was just the fastest car at the front. Yeah. It was everything you still want to see from a race. There were restarts. There was strategy. Um, fastest car won the race, which I mean, that doesn't always happen. And it's not always the most quote unquote exciting thing, but I think it's good for the sport to just have some authentic old school racing, you know, every once in a while, it kind of keeps things fresh. Yep. There was nothing fresher than the nap that I took watching the race today. You probably felt real fresh afterwards. 
like that that was the point yes i listen man i i just i absolutely hate the the the, the caution for the stage and it's not like we you don't get uh like you know more green flag racing i mean fox was taking breaks at the stage anyway they were taking breaks anywhere they could find them today so oh no they were taking breaks everywhere they could find them and then they were creating their own it was yeah it was miserable again yeah it it was almost fitting that we saw this broadcast from fox uh in the same weekend we've seen all this uh all these dms come up of baby gronk's father uh messaging media companies trying to get him uh to go viral um because he's a 12 year old kid that you're training or whatever you're i don't even know how old he's not even 12 dude he's 10. oh my bad no big big messed up on my part there sorry to baby gronk's dad (laughs) definitely just exploiting his kid and looks like a total dipshit uh but so like that's all happening it reminded me of the same thing like yeah you're trying to milk all your stuff out of it um, in terms of baby Gronk's dad trying to milk all the public publicity you can out of it before people realize what the gimmick is. Uh, that's what Fox's commercial or yeah. Commercial filled broadcast today reminded me of. I, I just, it was awful. Here's like, the it, was, thing. it was 15 laps in the race and someone tweeted me, there's been six commercials already. And here's the thing. So Josh and I are sitting here watching it. And like, as we're watching it, we kind of say to each other, like, okay, this is, this is bad. And then our our friend Quentin messaged us and was like, holy commercials. And then you go on Twitter and, you know, Connor had responded to that guy that said it was bad. So like, we haven't seen that the last couple of weeks. I felt like it had been better. But I also feel like there's people in the industry that are like, oh, well, like one person says that it's bad. And then everybody else is like, oh, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. And like, it's clearly not. There there were no saving graces of the broadcast today. I can't think of one they, thing that I was like, oh, you know, like they, they, they fucked up on this. But like, at least this was good. Like, no, nah, dude, it was a complete disaster. Do we still have like everybody because everybody else froze? No, I'm good. Uh, that's a you thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, as long as everybody's safe. So we, the, the saving grace, actually, here's what I'm going to say. Bring Jamie McMurray back more often, please. Yes, that's true. I love good Jamie McMurray. fresh air. But we, we were three wide going into, I think it's turn four, that hard right-hander. Uh, we were three wide cut away from that to go on board with somebody who was riding along by themselves. And then we had a battle for the lead right on the back bumper. And we go to commercial. Like it, it seriously feels like they just don't actually want to show anytime there was like good action on the track, they cut away or they go to commercial. Someone also mentioned that after they cut away from the three wide, that there was laughing in the booth that was picked up by the mics. What happened? Sorry, I I just coughed a long up. Um, when they did when they went down to the turn three wide and they cut away to an onboard of car by themselves, uh, people were saying that they uh, so, like heard laughing from Mike Joy and them in the booth. Uh, yeah, they were probably laughing because they're like, we're uh, sending you guys to commercial again, and you got to find a way to uh, come off like the good guys while you're on our network where the production manager seems to have no brain cells left. It's they, were lucky, like at one point, they were lucky at one, that Hamlin had an incident because if they would have missed the only caution, 
Well, they they, they were uh, the first caution. They were under commercial break. We had. Well, that's what I'm saying. Break. Like if yeah. if they missed, like if that was the only caution that happened, and like Hamlin didn't have his incident, and they missed it because they were at commercial, it would have been a bad, even worse. Which I world. know. You listen. You're not. You can't predict when that's going to oh, yeah. happen. But we pr- we missed so many like when the leaders were on pit road and stuff like that, we missed so much of that today because like in the middle of when they knew, you know, if between laps, I'm just going to make shit up, but if between laps 23 and 27, the majority of the field was going to come in, we would take a commercial break at lap lap 25 when like people were still making their pits. Like it just, they, it's just like they just really don't care. Like they're just like, oh, there's fun stuff happening. Well, well, and you can't predict that a tire's gonna, you know, cause an issue and, you know, go and cause a caution. But it, it's funny how many cautions we seem to miss because we're under commercial break. It reminded me a lot of Daytona's broadcast, and I remember everybody bitching vehemently about the Daytona broadcast, missing action, missing, you know, when the cautions would come out and so so on and so forth. Yeah, and looking back looking back on that, it's one of the worst Daytona 500 broadcasts I can remember in my lifetime. And the fact that it's even comparable to another race on the schedule, uh, let alone already a race this year, is incredibly uh, a def- deflating thought. Um, and also, you know, just in general, open opportunity for anyone at Fox, if they want to come on here and justify, uh, how many commercials that they ran in the race today and why that is and why they make the decisions they do. Uh, cause I don't like criticizing people without giving them an opportunity. So and I, I, we've talked about it before and I get like, there has to be commercials and stuff like that, but you like explain to me the last couple of weeks have felt fine and really nobody else has complained. And it's not like I got on Twitter and saw everybody else was complaining about commercials. So I was like, Hey, yeah, you know what? This is but like everybody collectively was just like, wow, this is really bad today. So it, it's not, it's not us. Like we're not just making stuff up because we feel like making stuff up. Like it, it oh, really, yeah, I, would, I would never call out, call off uh, or, call up a uh, production manager of a TV station. They, they have a very hard job. I honestly believe that. But when you, when I see enough questionable decisions being made and, and all coming to fruition on the broadcast and being like sufficiently less interested than any race I've watched all over the weekend because of how many commercials there were, then yeah, I'm compelled to say something because it looks freaking awful. You are getting your ass kicked by IndyCar's broadcast, by F1's broadcast. Johnny Gibson is running laps around Fox on his Dirt Vision stuff. I don't care if you don't like the sound of his voice. Dude's got it on lock. Fox, and thank God, thank good riddance for Fox this year. And I didn't say that last year. I said everyone that complains about Fox is going to complain about NBC. No, this, this was a disastrous year for the company covering NASCAR. Yeah. And I don't know if that well, matters, makes a difference, or should, but and obviously I think it should. Go ahead, Kill. The thing is, it's it's almost it feels like they walk into the race day and they say, "Okay, we're going to have commercials on lap ten, lap sixteen, lap whatever." It feels like they go into it with a piece of paper of when they're going to commercial. You, and yeah, if those, lap, those those hypothetical numbers are way too far apart, man. I'm just uh, making stuff up. We have six but, commercials. We got to get in by lap fifteen. Come on, let's yeah. think about this. 
Let's subjectively think here. <laughs> like if if on lap nine, Denny Hamlin stops his car on the backstretch, gets out and starts juggling, and then like Ryan Blaney gets out and does a backflip. Like we're going to commercial. It doesn't matter that that stuff's happening on the backstretch. It's lap ten. We're going to like that's literally how it feels. It is is like they come into it predestined. This is when we're doing our commercial breaks and kind of whatever's happening at that time. We're we're doing it anyway. And I also, I know a lot of people, as far as the stage breaks go, their, their big thing was, well, with the stage breaks, with the cautions for them, uh, we don't miss as much green flag racing because, you know, we go to commercial when the stage ends and Daytona had stages and the broadcast was just as bad for missing green flag action and everything. I just, I really am just taking this as an opportunity to. We, yeah, we were told that it would lower. We were told that it would lower commercials by about 20%, but I feel like we, we well, and the numbers showed earlier this year when they, they showed it on their face, we've got the same amount of commercials. Yeah, but yet, it's, it's, it's comparable to times where you had just zero to 200 there, you know, figure it out. So obviously you're not fitting them in in the same spaces that you should be fitting them in. But here's the thing too is we're, we're, literally the stage ends not even all 10 of the guys who get points cross the line before we're going to commercial then we come oh, back and we back. go we go hey these guys pitted all right we'll see ya and then we go back to commercial and like there it then we come back and we go all right let's take a look at the coca-cola racing family and then we're going to look at the toyota uh top performers and then we're going to show you kfc on your screen like it you it's always been like that to a degree, though. There have always you know, been just just stuff. wait till we take just wait till we take an always race day family of dirt drivers so that we can talk about not the race happening in front of us and just flashback. That would be great. I actually, actually I would actually great. do that if I had the money to do it. I would I would make them show Bobby Pierce highlights on like lap thirty three. Huh. It's twenty sixteen. So <laughs> well, they were showing Truex with like three laps to go. I'm like, you guys could have done this anytime in the past 95 laps yeah oh and speaking of them talking about truex poor mike joy somebody needed to correct him the first yes. time you made the mistake and they didn't when what, what happened with mike today? so mike has one moment during every race that just this season i've kind of noticed it where he's it just doesn't seem like he's all there but yeah. I mean, other and other than that and i do want to say this because I, I criticize the guy sometimes other than that he's fantastic and he falls on the sword for fox like he is a company guy and he's doing his best to you know make things right and and tell you like it is and explain things to you he does his best it just sucks that they aren't giving him even a chance to come off like the good guy there yeah i have i've always absolutely loved mike joy he's he's he, he and alan bestwick are my two all-time favorites as far as commentators go um he so so for those i want to fight you know, for that comment um We'll talk about that later, Josh. Uh, but as far as get to that in 30 seconds, hurry up, Noah. Yeah, I know. I'm trying. I keep getting cut off. Um, <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> so Truex, uh, they, they were talking about Truex being 42. He's going to be the oldest winner at Sonoma since Tony Stewart did it at 45. And Mike Joyce said that 
Stewart dueled Truex that day, bumped him out of the way when it was actually Denny Hamlin. Not once, but twice. And then at the very end of the broadcast, Mike Joy was like, yeah, I've actually, you know, been been informed by, by our team that it was Denny Hamlin, not Martin Truex. No, I just wanted to rain man Mike Joy. That's not even bad. I was... I, I was. I didn't question it. That's how I didn't notice it. No, no, I did. I was so. I was like, no, it was Hamlin. It was definitely Hamlin. And then the second time, I was like, why do you keep saying this? You were there. You commentated this, my brother in Christ. How do you know? Okay. Like, well, to his defense, do you know how many races he's commentated? Yes, that's like, fair. I mean, that's that's <laughs> fair. But if we're gonna bring it up as a notable moment, Damon, you just I, sound like a platypus in that. Yeah. <laughs> Your mic cut off. I can't. We can't hear you. It, it, the, the noises coming out of your microphone sound like a SOS system. Morse code. Morse code. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Why did I say SOS system? Jeez. SOS system. Hey, there he is. He sounded. There we go. You're good. You're good. What were we saying? I'm always sounding normal before. No, you weren't. You were speaking normal. The microphone was translating Morse code. It's it's all normal. Um, yeah, Mike Joy has been calling races for a long ass time. I mean, when his first partner is Buddy Baker, what is that? That's true. Me? Josh, who were? Uh, why are you going to fight Noah? Because no one stands near Lee Diffie. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I love Lee Diffie, but Alan Bestwick and Mike Joy, like my whole life. I can get, I can, I mean, you can see an argument for Alan Bestwick, but like, no, like dude, Lee Diffie does the announcing what? on the PA for Indy. Alan Bestwick awesome. does a fantastic job for the Indy He does, Fender. yes. Great. This is this is gonna come off like uh, a little kid really likes ketchup and really likes ice cream, so he thinks he should put it together and try to have it for a snack. But my dream broadcast duo is Lee Diffie and uh, Jesus um, Bill Walton. Jesus Christ! Yeah, um, how that dude? If I if, think it would work, Lee Diffie is that guy. He'd make it work. If we're talking about like making each other better if you put mike joy in the nbc booth with latart and burton and dale jr that's like all-star crew and that would be nobody would say a whole hell of a lot of complaints about that group can you imagine if nbc bought out foxes part of the contract so that for was another thing that i wanted to bring up we talk about all this stuff with Fox and how they're having all these issues and going all to all to commercial and things like that do you think that they're trying intentionally to put out a shittier product so they don't have to pay as much? There could be some behind the scenes um, stat keeping and stuff like that, uh, where they're trying to improve numbers for this deal that's coming up. Uh, now, ethically, that'd be really stupid, and they haven't made themselves look better by doing it. So. I, you know, I don't know if that's to get a better deal. I don't know if it, you know, everything happens for a reason, right? There's strategy behind everything. If you truly believe uh, intelligent people are in these positions and they should be. Um, so yeah, it, it, there's definitely a possibility there. I, I think it's probably less of that and just more of they're coming to the end of the TV deal. And maybe they know in their back of their mind, like we're maybe not going to pick it up or that it's just kind of been an overall like deprioritization of NASCAR's coverage 
it, since they signed the last TV deal, because they put so many more races on FS1 and and all that kind of stuff. Like they're talking about like Xfinity series going to streaming. We've kind of covered that in the last couple of weeks. And so, so I also, also just just so everyone knows, don't cheer for that. It literally, I don't think there'd be something that could kill a series quicker than doing that. Agreed. Sorry, Damon, go ahead. They, I, I was listening to, I didn't get to watch much of it on TV. I listened to it, um, on, on PRN on the way home. And in the pre-race, they had talked to Adam Stern about the TV deals themselves. And he feels or has been hearing that both NBC and Fox are possibly having their, their number of races cut in lieu of some other third party stepping in. And I've heard that too. I don't remember who it was that had said. He said it and I don't remember who it was. Cause he I heard that a couple weeks ago. Um, and I don't remember, I was trying to think of that a little bit ago, but yeah, it almost sounded like they would be back to almost like doing thirds again. Right. But here's my thing. I, I, I do feel like Fox is trying. Um, they've, they've tried to do the, you feel like they're trying listen, listen to me. Okay. Let me, let me get my point out in the past couple years. They've tried to do the in front of the crowd right away driver experience, getting their reactions out, you know, right out of the car. They've tried to do that camera that flies down the back stretch. They've tried to do the drones. They've tried to do fun segments. Like, I feel like they're trying. I just feel like they like don't have the group that understands race fans maybe enough. Yeah, uh, I I can subscribe to a little of that. Um, yeah, like, yeah. I, mind, I, I, no, I like how you worded it. Honestly, I'm trying to come to a because in my mind they're not gonna they're not gonna try different things and and you know spend the money on these different projects if they really like didn't care. You know what I mean? So like I feel like they do care and I feel like they're trying. I just think they they're they're sucking. <laughs> well, and, yeah, and, some and of I, their content. I, oh, sorry, go ahead, Connor. No, 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 you're, you're, you're uh, so, um, some of their, some of the things I've seen people complain about too, that's not just like a NASCAR on Fox thing. That's like a Fox corporate thing. Like the cartoons, for example, the driver cartoons that everybody right. hates. That's, that's a, that's a everywhere Fox. That's an NFL on Fox. That's a everybody thing. And so, uh, you know, like Connor said earlier, you know, people are human. There's always a human element. And so maybe, you know, people are absolutely trying don't like i i don't even think like oh well i think they're trying i know they're trying i just think that the things that they are trying aren't speaking like caleb said to race fans and like some of their their company-wide initiatives that they've tried to push as well i don't think they're speaking to i think it also i think it also goes back to you know when when this was during covid right and they were trying to draw in the non-traditional race fan or the non-race fan in general and they've just never gotten out of that that phase is we're still trying to we're still trying to cater to the non-race fan when at this point, yeah, you're still trying to draw in those those type of people, but let's be honest, the people that are watching now are race fans, have watched some sort of racing of, of any sorts, whether that's not NASCAR or it is. And I, no, I, I agree. 
I no, I don't. I I don't think they're still exclusively chasing that that new fan. Um, I also think so. If you're going to watch racing in the United States, aside from the Indianapolis 500, um, and you, you're just going to turn the TV on on a random day and watch racing, the chances are you're going to watch NASCAR. It has the most fans in the country. It has the most ratings. It has the most races. Um, the, the chances of you turning on a NASCAR product uh, comparatively to anything else are so like top heavy towards NASCAR um, that yeah, you're going to have new fans watching every week just by the virtue of probability, right? I don't think they're gearing the broadcast towards new people that haven't watched NASCAR before. That doesn't what, that's not what seems to be happening to me. Now, as far as like, yeah, they're trying. Of course they're trying. There's somebody in those roles that have a vision of what they want it to be and they're trying to get it to that but however they're going about that is not at all working and there could be a, a multitude of different reasons why and I, I think a lot of that uncertainty in my answer comes with the tv deal i just don't think that they're gearing the broadcast towards new fans so that's why we have more commercials and we never watch racing but that's apparently and I don't think Damon was saying that either. Sorry, yeah. but what were you saying? Apparently, we don't have more commercials. They they keep telling us that there's not more. So that's we just, and they're trying to turn out. Just, yeah, we feel like there's more, but for some reason there isn't. So that's I think like, there there if there is the same amount of commercials, truly, and 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 that is that that is the truth. I haven't seen they're any. I haven't seen, them. I haven't seen any stats to tell me that that. Yeah anywhere yeah, close no. to being accurate every graphic i've seen has had more commercials than they had three years ago oh and and the thing is too like okay let's pretend that yeah they're right there's just the same amount of commercials or less <laughs> you're timing them poorly that's the ultimate that's that's the sin there because like right. i don't care if you have commercials as long like obviously they're a necessity this is a business everybody's got to make some money off of this to keep this thing going the way that we all all like to see it go but at the end of the day if you're timing your commercials wrong it doesn't matter if you only have three commercials in the entire broadcast if you miss the important shit when you go to commercial or or the the interesting stuff the more compelling stories whatever you you want to call those then you're not putting out your best possible product right and i think uh the biggest takeaway from this entire conversation is the fact that we just talked about an entire race mentioned one driver uh and the rest of our, our topics of discussion were on how many commercials the race had because it was that it's, it's miserable as a, yeah sorry, I, don't, but, I don't think we're doing a bad job as a podcast that's what happened that's the amount of racing we saw today was not conducive to you know having takes about and if denny hamlin hadn't spun out uh, they barely talked about the three stop versus four stop strategy that was going on i had to send you guys a text to see what like i'm pretty sure chase is trying to go three stop over four and everyone else is going to go four is that what's going on here i didn't know how how in the hell are you running a professional broadcast and that's not something you're talking about that was like the storyline of the race at that point it also so, took him like two full minutes to, to to figure out that Michael McDowell dropped like a million spots on pit road and then go, Oh yeah. He's like back in the teens now. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, there's just, 
it, it's so much like they just don't know what's going on in the race. And, and it's, I, I'm, I'm so, I, I feel like I've talked about it so much this year, but it's just so frustrating. Like I've seen over the last couple of years, people complain about, you know, the broadcast and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it's really not that bad. People are, you know, going crazy. It has been miserable this year to watch. And part of it too is, so I always watch um, streaming on my Xbox and the, uh, the Fox sports app on the Xbox crashes. And I'm not exaggerating at least 10 times a race. That's just and, that you've kept doing the same <laughs> You're using the same product over and over, expecting a different result. Well, it's it's, but it's it's ridiculous. And here's the thing too: is it's not like it's not just like my Wi-Fi or my Xbox or whatever. Because there's times that like me, Noah, Josh will all be sitting there, and all three of ours will freeze and crash at the same time. Um, And it's very funny too because like typically right at the end of stages, it'll crash. Um, Like it's it's right when they go to commercial right when they go to commercial it'll crash like and it is it is just the whole experience of watching nascar and fox is just miserable yeah i agree i think we i think we hit that topic the only other thing i want to talk about is and and we'll get off in two minutes if we can make this a two-minute argument uh but why the hell's the off week next weekend Oh, Father's Day. I, uh, I feel like there's there's way, the way better weekends. There's way there's better weekends are. to take off. Mother's Day should be the off weekend. No, no, you no. You're in a TV rating series. You should want to race on every holiday. That's I, how that works. That's just how that works. I would rather them take the week off the Knoxville Nationals, the week off of the World 100, and have NASCAR drivers that want to go there and see it. Oh, don't fucking laugh at that. No, no, get out of here. Seriously, uh, we had a, we had a rain delay race to a Monday on Memorial Day, and it was the best ratings the race had had in five years. I understand, but it, you're just too predictable that I knew like those yeah, but, words were going to come out of your mouth yeah, right after that. This, I, I, I they they the really thing. should. If we're going to talk about how dirt racing built NASCAR and this and that. I care. But what falls on their weekend? I don't care what they care about. Their broadcasts suck, Josh. They, it, they're okay, but, irrelevant to me right now. Like you can't say it's a better weekend when it's going to go and support another series. Like oh, I absolutely can because you race on holidays because everyone's home. Yes, I, I was going to say that. What I'm going to tell you is the guys that are sitting in their air-conditioned offices on the fucking 28th floor at 001 NASCAR, like they don't care about getting an off week to go, you know, okay, play Caleb, Caleb, who makes the series in NASCAR? Who makes it worthwhile? What's the most important aspect of NASCAR? You, drivers. No, Hold on. No, no. Let me finish this. Let me finish this. It's but, the drivers. No, stop for a second. You're coming at me. Like you have I'm to, I'm not trying to come at you. You're good. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying they're the ones that don't care. You don't have to prove me differently. No, I know. I'm trying. This is also a message to NASCAR and, and some people that might not know this. But so I watch every week at Knoxville and this little Wheeling stand in the middle. Uh, the guy that has the microphone to the infield and I have become great friends. Uh, and that's always where I'm watching the race. And back in the day, a few years ago, and it still kind of happens. Um, it just depends on who's there, what year. Um, but Kendra Jacobs used to be the promoter at Knoxville, and she would take 
she would tell people like here's the best spot to watch on the racetrack and it's at the top of this little wheel and stand in the infield so i walk up there and there's people following me and i open this gate up and this guy's like oh hey thanks man how are you doing by the way ryan newman behind him this girl comes up behind him ricky stenhouse jr big into college football in iowa behind him denny hamlin it's a lot of the same vibes to me i guess uh on a smaller scale like there's there's just a lot of nascar drivers already at knoxville for the knoxville nationals it's just what happens i think a lot of them would subscribe to not having to go out that weekend and go back to fly back to nascar I mean, I would go. So I mean, I get games, it, but you know, when I was think there, Kyle I Larson after winning the Kings Royal would rather have celebrated than drive a NASCAR yeah, race I mean, and fly home that night. Seven-year path to get a degree. So, <clears> that's just me. I'm uh, sure there's reasons the that we don't know for having uh, this weekend be the off weekend. You know, I can't, I mean, I don't know any good reasons, um, but... I mean, it's practically the middle of the season. I mean, it kind of makes sense. I think Father's Day, personally, would have been a perfect holiday to be racing on. So if anybody wants to go check out, you know, if you're in the Midwest for your Father's Day, the ASA Tour is going to be at the Milwaukee Mile on Father's Day, so be sure to... Milwaukee had a really fun track to... Well, we talked We're about it. We talked about doing it. And we just, the problem is I, I kept, God, I, love I keep driving for small teams or owning small teams. And <laughs> it's just hard for us to spare a car. But yeah, basically, yeah, so um, this weekend, I, we're glad we got to push for that. We're going to campaign for that. And the Fox broadcast I don't know if we'll make that's it happen. Your, that's your too uh, long. Didn't, our, didn't listen uh, to we'll, the last we'll, hour. Certainly, I mean, try to help you take credit if it ever does happen for you. We still get You guys went out to Portland. That's, yeah, that's up to you. have one hauler that breaks down in St. Louis. You have another that breaks down in Kansas City. And I got to imagine for you, just in those moments, you kind of point out, within know, your logistics and organizing. If they're both trying to find that same sweet spot of TV holidays to go down on. I think they're, maybe Sunday afternoons, there's like two bajillion people watching TV. That's why we have to have every race then. I mean, it's well, just a yeah, very helpless I mean, feeling. And also, uh, it's just we like, constantly work on they might be right? competing with each uh, other. They're like, no, like we're competitors. I want people to watch my product sponsors, over yours. Drivers. I don't want to I don't think they're doing that. that are, I really like, don't. Pay I, just, I just don't. Feel racing. So, I, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, like, to a point, like, to a point in general, yeah, but I don't I don't think they want to be doing that with TV broadcasts. And and what are the solutions to While we're on the topic of discussion, too, it's going to be a prime opportunity because just sitting on the side of the road deal because it's up to you to come IndyCar up with a plan and of how to, start at how to the fix exact it. same time. Um, and that was it. I mean, that, that was probably the most challenging week that I've ever had. Wait, IndyCar and F1 start at the really same time? I think, I think it's like an hour gap, but yeah. Uh, we got to promote the hell out of IndyCar. Luckily enough, when I was yep. just driving for Carl Long or BJ McLeod or any of the teams that I drove for, all right. If, if well, those things ever happen, I promise they never got to be. They never got to be. Thank you. So guys for really listening. living through uh, it. Someday, I'm gonna. Uh, it was really, really the tough. Sign. Uh, I just can't thank everybody enough for during one of these big all the races. help that I got. Hopefully someday, it's a pipe dream, right? Uh, all the people who are really close to the race team that, that I reach out to. Like, Caleb doesn't actually think that. Like, 
and also our hauler drivers for just being absolute troopers and, we're, we're and managing all of this. I mean, we, we literally got a guy out to I get what you're saying. To Portland, and then basically flew him back to St. Louis to pick up another trailer and then drive back by himself. I mean, now that is the ultimate trooper move right there. He didn't even get to enjoy the race in Portland. He was busy driving a truck from from Sonoma or from St. Louis to Sonoma. So I mean, that's a ton of stuff coming. That's being pretty dedicated. So I mean, I've seen how everybody responds kind of a crisis uh, here in the team um, and to back uh, all the drivers all the sponsors were so some unique guys but uh, really so uh, understanding we'll see what happens. We'll and it really just has taught me a lot about crisis management because i can tell you last wednesday it was probably that was probably the darkest day and then on thursday you're kind of coming up with solutions and as always and by the time we got to friday even though the the haulers were very late getting there nascar was so understanding of uh of our issues and even helped out when the second truck broke down in Oregon, they actually helped out, coordinated with the track for me to be able to get a truck out there to kind of finish pulling our trailer the rest of the way. So even through all of it, I feel like everybody worked together really well and um, just really, really glad, really glad it's over. Now we're in the solutions phase and, and how to make things better. I suppose it, you know, was magnified too by the fact that you guys were delayed the previous week. So you you know, we're essentially behind a day two than what you would normally be. Right. I mean, that, that Tuesday start compared to what was really going to be a Monday morning start from us. I mean, it basically cost you 24 hours, right? Which when you look at us showing up, what was essentially six hours late. I mean, that, that winds up being a pretty big difference because even through all the trouble there, we probably still would have made it on time if we weren't delayed. But at the same time, that's something that everybody kind of had to fight through, um, including the NASCAR haulers and everything like that. So when I look at, you know, what we can do better, obviously um, we've looked at a lot of options now and, and clearly um, we need to have better backup plans. And it's, it's something this is teaching me, you know, as a guy that's running a team really for the, for the second year, I mean, Martin's Motorsports was my team. And I would tell you that I made a lot of decisions involved in those two years there at Martin's Motorsports and even the times when we were in the truck series and everything else. But uh, really here at Alpha Prime, I mean, I'm running all the day-to-day -day operations more so than I ever did. So I'm, I'm kind of learning here. This is really my second year of doing it. Uh, definitely the first year of doing it with two trucks on the road <laughs> ever in my life. So I'm, I'm learning a lot about the scale and, and some of the contingency plans we need to have. Now, tell us too, like, so I know there were some comments on Twitter and stuff like that, um, you know, kind of giving you crap for not having two drivers on the road together and uh, kind of walk us through, you know, you kind of explain that situation, but, you know, tell us why, you know, you don't have two drivers on the road for a semi compared to like maybe some other teams. Yeah, and, and it's something that I've pursued now multiple times, uh, and I've dealt with it a lot of different ways. I've, I've done this before um, in past years with Martin's Motorsports and uh, even with uh, here with Alpha Prime, where I've just gone out and got another driver, right? It's not, it's not hard to find another driver. There are plenty of drivers that want to help and want to do it. Um, that's not really the issue. The issue is for your primary driver, they feel – a lot better about the whole situation if it's somebody that they know, that they have driven with, that they are comfortable with. You got to think about it, man. They're going to get in the back seat of a, a, a trailer and truck while it's rolling down the road and try to sleep. 
And if they don't know, it's a stranger, right? And that's kind of a weird thing uh, to ask somebody to do. And, and they're not super comfortable doing it. And I've done it, but it's not really a great situation. Um, so I think the chemistry there is is an important thing. And I had both of our truck drivers tell me that they would rather just do it solo. They, they asked the people that they knew that they were comfortable with. Nobody was available. They felt like leaving even on Tuesday, uh, if we were able to stick out and, and not really have major issues, which we wound up having major issues, that they mm -hmm. felt like they would be able to make it no problem. And, and really, they, they really weren't that far off, uh, if you think about it. Uh, ultimately, I mean, we missed the deadline by basically six hours, and we had, without a doubt, about 20 hours worth of issues. So uh, I, I see that comment, and obviously I think it's coming from a place of a little bit of ignorance because I'm dealing in the the day-to-day -day of it, and I understand what these guys are telling me that they need. So obviously it's not me cutting corners. It's not about trying to save money because, I mean, good grief, I wind up spending the money anyway. It's not about that. It's just about – what are these drivers comfortable with? And in both cases, I had guys that, that were really more comfortable doing it solo. So uh, I know, obviously, it's well documented kind of for for most of us and and a lot of our our listeners and and people that are going to tune into this. But kind of explain, you know, what went down for you guys, what happened, what you found out since then as well, a little bit. Yeah. So what essentially wound up happening is uh, both the trailers left uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, one of them had issues with some tires uh, early Wednesday morning uh, and really through that that Tuesday night. Um, got those handled, had another truck, uh, basically the other truck had a problem with the engine early Wednesday morning. Uh, this is all like over the course of the night, I was getting these phone calls. So that would, wasn't a lot of fun. By the way, I tell all my truck drivers, just to preface all this story, I tell my truck drivers, if everything's good, do not call me. So, so you knew, you knew the second call, you got a phone call. Yeah. Yeah. So as soon as I get a phone call at two o'clock in the morning, I already know something is horribly wrong. Um, and they must be stuck on the side of the road somewhere. So I had one trailer uh, or one hauler called me and say, okay, we had tire blowout fixing that. All right. And then I had the other hauler call me and tell me, well, I'm having a little trouble with the def system in the truck. Um, but it seems like I can clear it out. It's okay. Okay. And then they both get going. The other trailer has another blowout shortly after that. And they realized that the problem is with the airbags and they had blown an airbag out and they were sitting there waiting for uh, service for a little while. The other one winds up having more trouble with the engine and the def system and winds up getting stuck uh, in St. Louis, uh, which was kind of the closest place they could kind of get to uh, with the with the problem they were having. And then they were kind of sitting around really waiting for a diagnostic pretty much all day on Wednesday. We, we were trying to figure out, could we fix this and get going again? Or did we need to come up with a with really a what was a major backup plan, right? And then the other trailer uh, kind of got patched up, tried to go down the road a little bit more. It was all the way to Kansas City. Uh, and eventually the airbags uh, were just not working, which for all the listeners, airbags basically lift the trailer up to where it's not riding so low on the tires and what was causing the blowout. So 
couldn't really get it fixed. So basically I had a trailer out of commission and I had a truck out of commission. Uh, I decided at the time the move was to send the working truck back to St. Louis, which was about four hours back the other way, uh, to pick up the trailer that was working. And then we would just make up a plan to figure out the rest of it. And uh, the rest of the plan involved sending a, a smaller trailer, what would really be considered kind of a late model trailer. It was a 48-foot trailer uh, from our shop with a dually pull in it to grab most of the stuff out of the trailer that was broken down and continue all the way uh, to Portland. So that's essentially what wound up happening is we had a trailer that was stuck in Kansas City. We had a truck that was stuck in St. Louis, and it was us trying to figure out how to get everything up there. And then eventually, as the truck that was working uh, with the trailer that was working got to Portland, the truck broke down uh, in Oregon. So then we had to send a truck <laughs> from the from the Portland Raceway to try to pick up the trailer and bring it the last two hours uh, to get it there. And then uh, we still have the truck trapped up there. Uh, we have now got a rental truck that has got our stuff over to Sonoma with the other trailer. So I now have three trailers in Sonoma, and now our plan is figuring out how to get everything back. Yeah, uh, Tommy, obviously, like, just a lot of moving parts to that. And I know NASCAR takes a lot of heat for some of the decisions or penalties or, you know, whatever they seem to do. I wanted to know how much of a help were they uh, over the course of the past seven days? Oh, extremely understanding. Uh, Jason Brownlow and Wayne Auten, uh Wayne Auten is the series director, Jason Brownlow, assistant series director. They were both extremely helpful and understanding of all the problems we had. We were in communication with them pretty much the whole time. I think they expected some breakdowns. They expected some trouble. Uh, I think they knew this, right, with, with that uh, kind of late exit getting out of Charlotte. I think they kind of knew there would probably be some problems. And the way they explained it to me when we got there was, we knew there'd be an issue and we're sorry that it was you. <laughs> so <laughs> they didn't think it would be both of my trucks and trailers. Uh, but ultimately, I think they knew that put us in a pretty tight deadline. Is the, apart from NASCAR, was there any other like teams that reached out and offered any assistance at all? Oh yeah. I mean, I've had a lot of teams reach out and that's the thing. It's such a tight knit community. Uh, it's a small group around in the NASCAR world. And we had a lot of people kind of offering the help, but it was about what made sense. And, and if all the help was coming from Charlotte, that really wasn't a lot of help at the time. So we were trying to come up with other plans and the other people that we knew. And I mean, I, I have never used my phone as much as I have used it in the last uh, week of my life. It has rang off the hook. So, I mean, there's been so many people that have offered help, but it was really more about you know, what, what made sense? If I borrowed somebody's truck, when was it coming back? How many miles was I really going to put on it? Uh, a trailer, would it fit my pit equipment? Would, would that fit in there? Uh, or was there no sense in bringing it? So there was a lot of other stuff going on there, but, but ultimately I, we had so many people offer help and, and I'm, and I'm so thankful for all the community reaching out and trying to help. Yeah. That's why I was curious. Cause that's the kind of unique thing about racing is uh, I feel like it's the one sport where you help your competitors more, you know, than anything else. The same guys that you're competing against are the same ones that will loan you a tool or a trailer or offer assistance. So uh, that's always cool. Just, you know, didn't, didn't make sense, you know, at the right time, but 
Yeah, I was going to say too, Tommy, uh, and thanks again with, because I think you've already touched on things that I didn't realize went into the issues like the hauler drivers, you know, wanting to have a relationship if they're going to be going up and down the road with each other. I think that's a really unique aspect that a ton of fans aren't taking into account. Yeah, and, and that might be as simple as I'm hiring two drivers for a team. I mean, a lot of bigger teams uh, wind up having two drivers per team uh, just to try to avoid, you know, the additional stress on one driver and all that. Obviously, we're we're not we're not junior motorsports. I don't have two drivers per team, um, but at the same time, you know, those guys are looking for that comfort when, whenever they're going to be driving a really long haul. So. Ultimately, that's the longest one we've got. So if I had two guys that were willing to do it by themselves, I'm not going to tell them, I'm not going to force somebody on them. But I think ultimately what I've realized now is whether they like it or not, um, we probably want to have two for those long hauls. In this instance, though, guys, keep something in mind. If the trailer's sitting on the side of the road, it doesn't matter if you got two drivers or not uh, because they're both just going to be sitting there. And now you got two guys that you got to try to figure out what to do something with. <laughs> So it wouldn't have really helped me a whole lot at the time, the fact that we had two drivers. That really didn't cost us any time other than maybe a couple of hours when the guys rested. But I'm just telling you, they didn't really rest a whole lot. And it sounds like it sounds like you don't need the two drivers, but if I can pitch a solution to you, I don't know how many apply for the job when it comes open, and I don't think me or Damon can drive a hauler. But if you need a couple guys to come down and have some beers with all the hauler guys, we can match them up chemistry-wise around a okay, well, about eight or ten beers i can look man i can tell you we're, we're a pretty good beer drinking team already <laughs> so i know you guys would throw right in i like this already man <laughs> so you mentioned the the long haul obviously uh from charlotte to portland and i know that after sonoma there is an off week um in your opinion, do you think that maybe moving the off week to before Portland to kind of give teams like yours the extra chance to prepare for that long haul would be beneficial? Or do you think it makes any difference at all? I think it would make a lot of difference. In fact, that's the exact same thing that I told NASCAR last year when they asked me, uh, what could we do to make Portland better? I said, give us a break week beforehand and afterwards. Um, so yeah, I would definitely like to see that happen. But at the same time, there's a lot of considerations that goes into the NASCAR schedule. And they did give us a break week before Charlotte. That's why our cars were prepared well, and they can't control the weather. I mean, right? I mean, so we had our call. Uh, basically, our cars were ready Saturday, so the day of the Xfinity race there in, in Charlotte. Obviously, we didn't get as far into that race as we hoped we would. And really, I guess our haulers in a pinch could have left – on Sunday, but instead we were kind of stuck waiting for the end of the Xfinity race, which really didn't end until super late Monday night. So uh, ultimately, I don't think it was that big of a factor. It was probably more of a rain factor than anything else, being honest. But at the same time, yes. I mean, I would love to see that that week be opened up. I mean, it's not just the fact that there's a race in Portland, guys. That This is something to keep in mind. It's the fact that it's a road course race in Portland, which there is more care and maintenance that goes into road course cars than pretty much any other car we have other than a speedway car. Uh, you have to replace brakes and rotors and service all that and cooling for all the brakes and rotors. 
and the transmissions have to be gone through and the drive shafts have to be gone through and every single part in the rear end has to be gone through because how many times you wind up look you know locking the rear end up and and wheel hopping and everything else you got it is so stressful to suspension parts and the chassis itself and it just takes extra time it, it you know our guys are awesome they're doing it on a small team anyway but a road course car it just takes a little bit more time and that kind of bleeds into a short week we call them short weeks at alpha prime where it's a it's a week where the hauler has to leave before wednesday is a short week uh, because really what you're looking for is a three-day work week. Well, in the, in the case of Portland, you really got a one-day work week. So pretty much all the week has all the work has to be done the week before, and if it's not, then you're going to wind up being late. In that same area, I know a lot of fans ask for more standalone Xfinity and truck events, specifically on short tracks that maybe haven't had a cup race in recent years and stuff like that. Where do you kind of sit on that opinion? Because I know it, it's got to be hard for you guys to find pit crews when the cup series is racing elsewhere that weekend, right? Yeah, and that's a good observation because so many of us use crews that are affiliated with cup teams and that's one of the reasons that that portland race was a three-minute break um is just because of the logistics of trying to get all the pit crews there versus where they were in st louis for the truck in and cup race so uh that's kind of the big factor uh all the the pit crew guys really are connected very much in all three series so triple header weekends honestly are, are some of the easiest weekends on those guys on the pit crew guys um and i think that's why nascar's kind of built the schedule the way they have is a little bit of an understanding of kind of how the industry operates and, and how that side of it operates personally i would tell you uh my opinion is that more standalones is perfectly fine i, I don't think there's anything wrong with the three-minute breaks that we do um I would, I'm sure that all the viewing audience at the Portland race wouldn't say that, that really hurt the racing experience and the viewing experience at all. The fact that we didn't have live pit stops. So I've never seen that as an inhibitor for us. And in fact, when we don't have live pit stops, that's actually a cost savings for us. And the bigger of a team that we are now with, with three pit crews versus you know two or one, uh, I can tell you those, those savings are multiplied. So is it something that I'd like to see all the time? No, but but more of them wouldn't be a problem for us, and I don't really think it hurts the viewing experience. So you, you go from Portland down to Sonoma, and so back-to-back road course races. Is that a benefit? Is that you know? Is that maybe a, a negative to, to have a back-to-back road course because you have to service these cars on the road? You're not in your normal shops, I'm guessing, servicing cars, or or is it is where does where do you guys lie on that? I think in theory, it's a really good idea. Honestly, uh, I'll tell you that, Damon. I, I think the catch here is just our team and the scale that we are, it's really difficult to pull off. Um, so that's not really a, a discredit to the idea because I, I think uh, teams that are a little more well-funded, uh, what they're doing when they run a hauler down the road here to a, a, a race like Portland and, and Sonoma – what they're doing is sticking two cars in the trailer and that's it. They got one Portland car. They got a Sonoma car. Even if the Sonoma car is not completely ready, what they know is if they wreck in Portland, okay, we might have to thrash a little bit on this other car while we're out here in Sonoma, but, but we can get it ready. 
our team didn't have that. We really had one backup car for three cars. And so more than anything, it really affected how our guys were able to really run the race. Now, I'll tell you that everybody did a terrific job. I mean, Leland was sick as a dog when he got in the car and and managed to take care of it for that first little bit. And Brad Perez, subbing in, really did a great job all the way up until the last corner, uh, taking care of our stuff. Jeffrey did a great job uh, taking care of it. And, and so did Dylan Lupton. And everybody kind of knew the way that I, I pitched it to them was what we're really running is an endurance race. And it's not just at Portland. It's also at Sonoma. Like you're not going to be good at Sonoma if you don't get through this race cleanly. And so I just wanted to, it's not like we're sitting here telling them, Hey man, don't go up there and race. Like, that's not what it is. It's just that, Hey, just know you're really running one race. It's just, is going to take two weeks because we had the same stuff happen in the Xfinity series before when we were running double headers, like uh, during the COVID year in 2020, Richmond, we ran a double header Dover. We ran a double header and I was driving the car at the time. And I just told myself, this first race doesn't matter. Like if it was a 400 lap race, uh, when we ran Dover, I think we ran 250 lap races. If I told you you had a 300 lap race, would you really be racing somebody super hard on lap 146? Probably not. And so that's it. I just tried to change the mindset of some of my guys as we went into it is go, okay, look, you got, you got a 150 lap road course race that you're about to run. And yeah, we're going to get to make some big adjustments during the middle of it during kind of the break week. Right. But, but ultimately you kind of got to run the same car here. And if you go tearing it up, it's really not going to be very good for the last half of the race. Um, and I think all the guys really took that to heart and I think they did a great job. I think, I, I, I mean, that's insightful to me. Like, I, I think that's a good way to put it is essentially when you're on the West Coast too for both those races, you have to kind of view it as one long race. You mentioned the uh, Honeyman being sick um, and the driver substitution. Can you walk us through like how that all comes about? Because that was on top of everything else that was going on. So walk us through like when a driver – uh, you know, might need a substitution or is in that situation? Like what all goes down in that case? Well, Leland was very forthright with how he was feeling. Um, he told us very early how sick he was the night before. When we got to the racetrack that morning, uh, my job was just finding out who was even available as a backup. I mean, the problem was we were in Portland. It's not like you just walk over there in the cup garage and grab somebody. Um, we didn't know who was, who was even licensed. Uh, and of course everybody looked at me and said, well, Tommy Joe, just get in the car. I was like, I don't have a driver's license this year. I haven't gone through the process of getting it. Um, so I wasn't even approved. I mean, I know that I would be in a pinch here, but you can't get all that done while you're at the racetrack. There's a lot of stuff that you got to do medical forms that you got to clear and, uh, other, other things that have to go into that before I could just get in a race car. And also part of that too. It's part, sorry that, to interrupt you. It's part of that too. Like if they fit in the seat, no, I'm not oh, trying to imply that you don't, but that's, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it, Connor. And, and I was, look, I'm six foot three. I'm not even going to fit in the seat. So okay. So I was safe there. The right Thank point. goodness. Yeah. yeah. So when I knew that Brad was there, you know, Brad has worked for our team before he worked for Martin's Motorsports for two years uh, as our tire guy and is really a great guy. Um, and when I knew he was there with his you know, road course experience, it just made a lot of sense. Luckily and smartly, he brought his stuff uh, out there to the West Coast. He had all of his gear. He was ready to go. 
Um, and so with that, uh, we were able to kind of put him on standby. And so Leland did practice and qualifying, did a great job, qualified 21st, first time in an Xfinity series on a road course, um, was the highest qualifying Alpha Prime car right behind Jeremy Clements and some of the guys that are doing this every week. So I was really, really proud of him for that. And then we told him, look, right before the race, honestly, it was about as bad as he looked all day. I mean, he was pale and he had been, he had food poisoning and had been throwing up all morning. Um, and right before he got in the car, we just told him, look, you're going to have to be really honest with us. We're going to have Brad here. If you don't feel like you can do it, let us know. It was a hot day out there in Portland. Road course races are, are probably the hardest you're going to work inside of a car. Um, and I think, you know, ultimately, like, that's it. Uh, it's, it's just he, he was really honest. He, he told us, hey, man, I can't make it. Um, we had Brad ready to go, and, and Brad was able to hop in. Luckily, we had a three-minute break, right? And and what a what a perfect time. If you're ever going to have to do a driver change, what a better time than a three-minute break uh, where you're able to actually – Get the guy in there and do it the right way. All that good luck for you getting... right at that moment this weekend. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say it was the best luck ever. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Getting involved in a crash at the end of the race. <laughs> I, I, I'm curious of like, so when you have to make a, a change like that, like how difficult or how smooth is the process when you go to NASCAR? Because I'm assuming they have to be pretty heads up uh, and knowledgeable about you know, that that's taking place and who's getting in the car and all that. So is it just as simple as going to somebody and saying, Hey, this is who's, you know, going to be in the car or is it more of like a difficult process? I mean, there's a little paperwork involved on the back end, but in the moment it, it's pretty much as simple as just letting the series director know that you might have to make a driver change. And they're always very understanding of what's going on. Um, uh, especially when it revolves, you know, or involves driver health and safety. So and in that case, that's what we had. We had a driver that was really not feeling well, had already had to go to the infield care center, was really trying to tough it out and, and really did the best he could. I mean, I don't know how many of you guys have ever had food poisoning. I have. You do not feel like really doing a whole lot, much less driving in an Xfinity race at Portland. So uh, the fact that Leland was able to gut it out as, as much as he was really was – was really pretty impressive and then luckily we were just able to have the a, a good substitute sitting right there in the pit box is he back to full health then yeah leland's all good actually going to be out there in sonoma racing for uh, i believe racing for emerlin gase kind of in a fill-in role as well so what's funny is we we had an emerlin gase guy brad fill in for us this past week and now uh you know we're we're kind of i guess we're loaning leland over there to their team uh, this weekend in sonoma so does, you know, you mentioned the fact that you don't have your, your license. Does this incident like this, I know you said being six, three wouldn't necessarily fit, but does an incident like this make you want to, to have that as a backup plan possibly moving forward? I think it makes the crew guys want me to be the backup plan. I can tell you that uh, <laughs> it wouldn't have helped us a whole lot in this moment uh, because I, I had a spot. I was actually spotting for, for Dylan yeah. Lufton for yeah. turn one. So you know, Joey Gase and I had that that conversation when we were up there. He was spotting uh, for uh, Patrick Emmerling, I believe. And I think Emmerling was having some health issues at the time. And there was kind of a scramble of who was going to get – because at the time it was like, well, Brad will be my backup driver. Well, now Brad's sitting in my car and Joey's going, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, do I have to get off the stand and go down there? And so we actually had one of the, the spotters who was uh, – 
I believe it was uh, Glenn McGowan who was spotting for uh, Stephen Parsons actually took Joey's radio and Joey ran back to pit road, I think to, to maybe have to sub in. I, and I'm not sure exactly what happened there. I don't, I don't think there was a substitution, but that that's what you had going on. You had a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, man. No, I'm glad you uh, brought up Joey. We had him on a few weeks ago. Uh, being from Iowa, we've followed his career for a long, long time now. Uh, and he was kind of telling us about how the purse system and everything in NASCAR, the way it was set up with the new cars coming, and that's why he wanted to start a team in the Xfinity Series. I was going to ask you as far as you know, the money you guys get from NASCAR rewards money, uh, standings-wise or normal race weekend-wise, what would you want to see? Like, what's one thing you'd want to see out of NASCAR the most in that area? Uh, just paying us more in general. Uh, sure. I could say that, but I or assume that, I suppose. But that's... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really... It's a safe answer, too. Is that... Yeah. I mean, that's that's really it. I've, I've been extremely public about this, which is why I don't mind mm-hmm. telling you all. I mean, I, I do think the teams need to get paid more. In the truck series, they especially need to get paid more. And in the Xfinity series... It, there needs to be a bump as well. Uh, costs have gone up. It's the thing that you do in life. Uh, and they definitely have gone up in the racing industry as well. And, um, you know, really, when we start talking about the television revenue, it's something that's clearly being worked on moving forward. Um, the idea of uh, probably sharing a little bit more with the teams in general, I think is something that the Race Team Alliance is working on. And I think as we kind of, approach the new deal of the television agreement there's been a lot of talk about the xfendi series going to streaming and with that there'd probably be some more revenue in there for the teams and i think that's a good thing so i think everybody's kind of addressing it uh but it is without a doubt the elephant in the room uh everybody always wants to ask well why why doesn't such and such have a ride you know that's a great driver why doesn't he have a ride and it's like money money's the reason he doesn't have a ride or she doesn't have a ride that's pretty much it is that the teams are not operating in a profit. We are operating at a tremendous loss, and we have to try to make up that difference in sponsorship revenue, which that might not always be from the most talented available driver. Uh, That's only going to happen when the team already has inherent sponsorship, most likely from just a rich owner that just sees this as something fun. Like Scott Borchetta, that owns Big Machine Racing, he is very he's he's doing okay guys like it's he's not really hurting for money and they put big machine seltzer on the side of the car for crying out loud so that's a sponsor and owner all in one that's the ideal and he's going to probably pick who he thinks is the best driver out there this year it was parker kligerman and i think parker's done a really good job right so that's the perfect situation is as a team owner we have the sponsorship in-house and it's all good to go. We have a salesperson at Alpha Prime Racing. We are trying to sell sponsors all the time. But ultimately, a lot of the times, this gets tied to drivers where the driver already has the sponsorship, and they are really shopping around team to team. And it's up to us to try to pick who we think fits our team the best and who we think is going to do the best job. You guys got anything else for Tommy? Uh, the question I've got, so you've got kind of a up and down uh, record at Iowa Speedway. Um, I know you finished uh, 11th there. So <laughs> what's what's your opinion of that track being missing from the schedule? Tragedy. It's one of my favorite places in the world. Uh, 
it uh, just a tremendous NASCAR racetrack. And, and that's it. Just a, a perfect track for stock cars, uh, a legend helped design it, uh, Rusty Wallace. And, and I think it has held up ever since. I think it puts on a great, great race. Um, was a ton of fun to race. And I got to race there a decent amount. Um, man, really missed that place being on the schedule. When I, when I look at all the things that we're doing, guys, part of me feels like we've lost part of what is really NASCAR, right? We're, we're looking for more short tracks on the schedule and we're reopening in North Wilkesboro and we're talking about going to Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway. And it's like, hey, you know, you got Iowa <laughs> sitting, sitting right there. Um, pretty good racetrack might be an idea because what we've seen with Nashville uh, Super Speedway, the response to putting a track at a race, or sorry, putting a race at a track with the Cup Series because Really, that is the driver. Like when the Cup Series comes to town, everything else kind of follows. And Iowa Speedway never got a Cup race. You look at Kentucky Speedway; it was gonna die, and then they got a Cup race, and then everything changed, and it was better. And then ultimately, it was just a gigantic turd, and had to eventually get. A, we had to go away from it because it was the worst track that's ever been built outside of Texas Motor Speedway. Now that they've reconfigured it, so. Ultimately, SMI really bad at running tracks, apparently. Uh, but Iowa Speedway, they've left that thing alone. It's aged perfectly. And it's a track that puts on tremendous racing and a place that, that we would really like to go back to. I think that's the, the tough part for, you know, people like us that live in Iowa. I, it's, I don't have a better word, but it, you almost feel abandoned because there is some good race fans here in Iowa. I mean, we saw for the IndyCar races last year, um, a big crowd showed up and yeah, we we've lost the trucks and Xfinity at Iowa. Uh, we've lost Chicago land. We lost trucks at Knoxville too, Caleb. We did did a double down on that one. Well, you should have lost trucks at Knoxville. (laughs) (laughs) Tommy, I just, I have one request for you, Tommy. Go back with 56 to go in the truck race at Knoxville last year. Brett Moffat got called for jumping the race. It's the most egregious call I've seen in my life. Yeah. Well, I can tell you the most egregious thing I've ever tried to watch in my life was the ending of the Knoxville truck race a couple of years ago. So that one was, yeah. And with, with that being said, as the team owner hat that I'm currently wearing, uh, I don't think trucks need to ever go back there ever again. The lowest paid series on a solo trip to Iowa to destroy everything they own. Um, I think they would much rather go to Iowa Speedway as well. That's a perfectly good racetrack. I think we ought to race there. It's tougher for a blue and white 19 truck to do as much damage as it did that night. Yeah, it was pretty brutal. Caleb, you got anything else? Are we good? I mean, I think that wraps it up. Noah, you got something? So, you know, you, you've mentioned the team owner hat that, that you're wearing right now. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, you, you haven't renewed your license, you know, to drive. Is, is there a chance that we ever see you back in a car? Or are you are you fully focused on being a team owner now? I just want to be a great team owner right now. Uh, is the longing there for me to drive? Yeah. But I, I want Alpha Prime to be successful. I mean, that is my primary goal. Um, this is everything that I do every day is just to try to make this team as good as I can make it. Uh we know we don't have the budget of some of the people that we try to compare ourselves to. And this is not me saying anything bad at all, but 
the people we try to race with is Sam Hunt and Jordan Anderson Racing and the AM Racing 25 and the 48, uh, Ryan Sieg and Clements and all those guys that you consider fringe playoff people. We, we really want to be that. That's what we want to be. Um, and I'm, I'm just probably not going to sleep very well until we are. And ultimately, uh, as a race car driver, I knew that I, for me to make a living out here doing this, uh, it was going to be pretty tough. Uh, the age that I was, Rick Hendrick probably is not picking up the phone and calling me. I, I think I could be a really, I, I could be a good race car driver. Uh, could I have continued to try to have a career like Jeremy Clements? I think that was absolutely a path I probably could have gone down. Um, I am so impressed by him and the career that he's been able to have in the Xfinity series and, and multiple wins. Uh, that's a guy that I considered a peer of mine. But ultimately, I just didn't feel like I felt like there was just a cap on what we were going to be able to do with Martin's Motorsports and, and me as a driver, um, and that's why I went down this path with Alpha Prime. It was a choice that I made to try to be a great team owner, right? Like I felt like I could be a good driver, but I felt like I could be a great team owner. And ultimately, you know, I'm I'm still kind of learning. <laughs> we're having some bumps in the road, but I feel like I'm kind of on the way. Going going off that, how do you how do you feel that you guys take those next steps to to join those other teams? Organization. I mean, ultimately, that's that's it. I mean, I put all this on myself, Damon. As we expand, it's it's tougher to be great, right? That the bigger you get, the tougher it is to be really really good. Um, two cars into the year last year, I was blown away uh, by the performance that we were able to have in our cars with, with some of the drivers that we, we had in there. We, and we have great drivers and we still do have great drivers, but I also think I got to be realistic with how the field in Xfinity got a lot better in one year, um, with Cole Custer coming back to the Xfinity series and, you know, the double zero firing up again. And then you look at Brett Moffat and the 25 car being there, the 48 Parker Kligerman being there full-time. Uh, I've never seen more full-time drivers uh, in the Xfinity series ever than this year. You look at Sam Hunt, how they grew Jordan Anderson, how they grew. Um, and they have just been so good. Uh, Josh Williams, the 92 car uh, with some of the sponsorship he's been able to raise and doing a great job. I mean, it's just, time and time again good car good car good car good car and it just feels like it's just gotten harder than it's ever been um and we got to rise to the challenge i mean that's that's all it is it's just managing people uh getting the best people you can and getting the best drivers you can i mean it's really pretty simple formula we've had to move people around quite a bit we've had a lot of kind of moving parts on the inside of the team and and with that i think comes a little bit of inconsistency i feel like I feel really good about where our team's at right now. And, and I feel like really if, if last year as a judge, I would tell you, we started off the year last year, like crap, <laughs> we started off terrible and I had to make some personnel changes and, and make, um, you know, big swings at it. And I felt like I learned a whole lot kind of in that first third of the year. And you look kind of down the back end of the year, uh, kind of how we were able to go. I, I almost had to kind of learn how to be the manager of a two car team and I feel like this year I'm kind of having to learn to be the manager of a three-car team. And I have confidence that I'll be able to figure it out. And I have confidence in the people that we've hired here that, that they're going to be able to figure it out too. 
Well, I think that's all we got for you, Tommy. Thanks again. Obviously, it's been a super long week for you, so it means a ton to us that you're willing to come on here uh, and talk to us for an hour uh, on a random Tuesday night. So appreciate you a ton for that. And if we ever figure out how to get an Xfinity race at Iowa again, we want to be the first to throw a big party, big post-race party for you guys. Well, you want to see something that will make me come out of retirement if we're racing at Iowa Speedway. That's one that's near and dear to my heart. Perfect. Thanks a lot for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Safe travel. Thank you. Thanks, man.